0: The Athletic.
1: The only way to score is of course to play uh, with a handbreak off.
0: Hello and welcome to Handbreak Off the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Stone. Today I'm joined by Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark. Good morning. Hello, hello. Good morning. Morning. Nice to see you guys. Uh, before we start, I should say, Amy watched the Emirates Cup with one Nick Callow, a sometime guest on this podcast. And Nick said, of oh, William Saliba, he's the best Arsenal player I've never seen. We thought what we'd do, it'd be a good opening question. Who's the best Arsenal player you've never seen? Uh, Adrian, I'm going to come to you first.
1: <laughs> um it's definitely fabio vieira because everyone keeps telling me how fantastic he is yeah i was on a show the other day and it was an american show and the guy w- was a real expert he follows sort of portuguese football and he was basically saying this guy's going to take early place and i was like hang on a second he's the captain I don't, I'm not I'm not quite sure about that. But he said no. This, this guy is is really really good, and and I just haven't had the opportunity to well, obviously see him in the flesh yet. But but really, other than YouTube stuff, I've, I've I'm not not had a chance to to watch him play, and he looks fantastic. So I'm going to say Fabio Vieira. I'm I'm excited to see him. He looks very Arsenal, and that is uh, that's what we love to see.
0: Talking of yeah, what injured is what you mean? He's injured. at the moment, Well, I didn't, yeah,
1: no, that's not so that's good. That's not
0: what you mean. I know that's not what you meant. By the way, um, we are going to talk about the optimism levels. Uh, if you've read Amy's piece in the Athletic, talking about that very fact, and honestly, Adrian, that hasn't particularly helped, if I may say so, because you know you're talking about someone else who's apparently brilliant, but we haven't seen him yet. Amy, what about you? Who's the best Arsenal player you've never seen? <laughs> well, uh, I have to say that Nick obviously said this before the kickoff
2: uh, of the Emirates Cup game. <laughs> so he has now seen uh, William Saliva, which, which a lot of us ha- more have. Uh, and exciting, that is too. But I just want to quickly follow up on Adrian's point. That wasn't who I was going to choose, but we were just loitering in the mix zone, a few of us after the game, hoping that somebody might come and spare us a few words of wisdom. And Edu wandered by and... Uh, He's quite quite amenable these days and wants to sort of chat and be a bit more open with people. And it wasn't on the record or anything like an interview, but he was just happy to stop and share a few words. And he was complimented by one of the journalists on the work he'd done and the players he'd brought in. And mainly, of course, meaning Gabriel Jesus and, and the people that were on show. And uh, Edu just stopped for a moment and look, looked at his group with one of those very, very knowing expressions like... Quite smug and self-satisfied in a way, sort of, and went, (laughs) you wait till you see Fabio Vieira, sort of, effectively. He sort of volunteered his excitement before anybody had ever seen him. And so whatever whatever people think Arsenal have done so far, considering they haven't seen this bloke yet, he definitely got the feeling that uh, there's something special around the corner. So that was pretty interesting. I, I made the mistake of saying... Doesn't he look like he needs to go to the gym a bit before he, you know, before he's Premier League ready? Yeah. It's and uh, Eddie Ed, didn't seem to agree with my point of view at all, and said, "Oh no, you know that oh, that takes something away from him. He's, you know, lithe and light on his feet, and that's his quality."
1: Exciting. Yeah, I mean,
2: it, it is exciting. I, th- I think it'll probably take him the best part of another two or three weeks to be even remotely match ready. But nice to think there's something in the wings of real quality. Which brings me to my answer of the greatest Arsenal player I've never seen in my um, nagging back of the mind feeling that the thing about Gabriel Jesus is he's become so important so quickly that we're in this position that a whole season seems to hinge on the fitness of a guy who's never actually kicked a ball yet in competitive action for Arsenal. You know, what if something happens to him? He seems so utterly integral already to the way Arsenal play, to the strategy, to the press, obviously to the goal scoring and goal chance creation, to the atmosphere, ambiance, the energy. There isn't really an alternative of his calibre, I think. For all the kind of multifaceted players who who can play along the front line, what he looks like he can bring... Is a bit unique. So the greatest Arsenal player that I've never seen so far is maybe another, maybe an alternative at centre forward. Because I, I think if Arsenal are really, really serious, we can't be an injury or, or you know away from something really big
0: missing from the team. Adrian, I know you agree <laughs> with that. I know you do. You're on this podcast a month ago saying we still need another forward, still need another forward, uh, and we'll get to absolutely. we'll get to that. I have to say, I, Gabriel Jesus. I mean. I've seen a few bits of the pre-season games. I I mean, I remember a time not too long ago when nobody ever used to watch pre-season games. We'd go off to Austria or whatever and we'd play five or six games. Mm. And, uh, you know, the English boys would get drunk and the French guys would smoke ten cigarettes a day. And then we'd all get together and we'd uh, win the title. And um, nobody really paid much attention. I've got to be honest, I feel a little bit about pre-season the same way now everyone has been talking quite a lot about Gabriel Jesus. I've seen him score a few goals against a very underpowered Chelsea team and against what looked like severe reserves at the weekend. But um let's see. Amy, uh, you hang want to say something? Hang on, hang on,
2: hang on. Mr. Optimism himself is like putting a bit of a downer <laughs> on Gabriel Jesus. Not here. At like all. hang on. Hang on. By the way, Adrian, we saw each other um at the Emirates on yeah. on the weekend and your face, when you talked about Jesus, you really looked like, you know, a <laughs> nugget of gold had been found rummaging around the the back of the suitcase. It looks so good, doesn't it?
1: It just looks so good. i tell you that the, 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 the transformation do Well, I've
0: never really seen him. Yeah, I'll be honest it, with well, it, right, he's you. So I've seen him play for Man City. And
1: he's different to the, to the guy we saw at Manchester City based on what we've seen so far. I think he, he really is reveling in this sort of main man status. It's yeah. He's turned it up a notch. Um, what I would say is when you first clap eyes on him in the flesh, you'll notice one thing, and that is how much faster Arsenal's attacks are. He's basically just turned it up a notch, more than a notch, actually. And everything that we're doing inside the final third, because of his sharpness and brightness and, and skill is happening twice as fast as it was before. And that is why I got a big smile on my face.
0: Good. I mean, it, it, uh, it's certainly up a notch from the walking pace of uh, Alexandra Lacazette last season. <laughs> so that's excellent. But he's still the best Arsenal player I've never seen, because uh, I haven't really watched him yet. But we will get to see him on Friday night. All things being well. Before we talk about that, football finally came home on Sunday. But it was the women who brought it home. England women beat Germany 2-1 in a tight, tense final in front of a record crowd of 87,000 fans at Wembley. And it was a very Arsenal victory. We had four women in the squad, Lottie Wubenboy and Nikita Paris, and two of the stars of the tournament. The Golden Boot winner and player of the tournament, Beth Mead, and the England captain, Leia Williamson, if that wasn't enough. The pundit panel consisted of two Arsenal legends in Alex Scott and Ian Wright and the current Arsenal women's manager in Jonas uh, Ederville. Adrian, let's talk about Leah Williamson first. She looks so good. There was one pass through to the German, I can't remember who the German forward was who came on, uh, which she cut out with ease and just played the ball away and she looked she looked like a Rolls Royce of a centre half, really. And and Millie Bright's a much bigger and stronger, more physical centre half. But Leah Williamson, when she talked at the end about what it meant, and you went, Captain, that is a captain there.
1: Yeah, no, she's definitely a natural leader, A very popular figure at Arsenal. And yeah, she's a footballing centre half, isn't she? That's she is. that's what she is. She's very graceful, wonderful passer. I mean that the the forward passes Whenever I watch her for Arsenal she's uh, usually on point. Starts attacks well. What impressed me in this tournament about her, apart from the leadership, which was great, and the temperament, because the, think of the pressure. So much pressure. So many eyeballs on these girls. And, and she handled that you know, as if it happens all the time, which clearly it doesn't. It's that her positioning was just brilliant throughout the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. She's not that quick. I've seen her exploited... For pace, a few times in the WSL, but but she wasn't exposed at all in in this tournament. Just positionally, perfect, really, from from start to finish. So yeah, well done, Leah, and well done, well done, Beth, and to and to all involved. It was tremendous, wasn't it? A real great occasion. Loved it.
0: It was. Amy Beth Mead, top goal scorer, player of the tournament, Golden Boot, and and all the rest of it. I mean, I I watched. I remember watching the semi final against Sweden, and uh, and she got the ball from the right killed it first touch and then buried it. She talked about Ian Wright with a lot of affection, as all the girls do, but she, she's just a finisher, isn't she, Beth? Look, I mean, I think the thing that's really touching
2: about, you know, to see her with that, such an endearing smile as well. I don't know what it is, but it, it it's quite sort of modest. Um, I think she looks a bit sort of like a little girl sometimes. And to get up, to go up there and... Get the acclaim that she did individually as well as for the team. You know, this was a person who a year ago was having to face a monumental setback, you know not get selected for the, the Olympics. And, uh, you know, I, I found it, I, I was sort of watching the game with my sons, and for them to have a role model who's a girl, when you want to turn around and say, look, you have setbacks in life, you can take it one of two ways. You can, you know, maudlin and down in the dumps and blame everybody else or you can use it as fuel to work harder and chase your dreams and i found it kind of almost blew my tiny mind really to to have you know a, a female footballer who could be a role model not just to little girls but to to little boys as well they admire her everybody does it's brilliant
0: yeah, it
1: was. Um, this morning, Stony. This morning, my six-year-old daughter, who's starting to get into football, which is great. Um, bit, bit of a bit of a war going on in terms of who she's going to support. Is it going to be Leicester? Is it going to be Arsenal? Because we, we all her friends support Leicester because we're up in up in the East Midlands. But I'm determined to win that war. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she went to sort of school holiday club yesterday, and she came back um, and said, "Daddy." Do you know Beth Mead? <laughs> yeah. like she's never mentioned any Arsenal player to me ever. She doesn't know Gabriel Jesus. She doesn't know Aaron Ramsdale. She doesn't know any of them. She said, you know, do you know Beth Mead? I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah it's Beth Mead. She was she's played for Arsenal. She was the she was one of the heroes of the team, wasn't she? That that won it." And yeah, she said, "Oh, the the teacher was was telling us all about Beth Mead at, at the club." And you know, that's the power of what happened at, at the weekend. It's absolutely brilliant.
0: Yeah, uh, you can always threaten them with adoption if they go for the wrong team. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um um in terms of the uh the punditry by the way, I thought Jonas came across great uh, as a pundit and Alex Scott as well. But I want to talk about Riyiti, just brilliantly. I mean, he is a bit of a national treasure. We all know that, we all love him. But what he said about the women's game, Amy, um the way he talked about it, the passion with which he talked about it, the the way he talked about how you know, if girls can't play football at lunchtime, what are we even doing? It takes, to a certain extent, it takes a man doing that sort of stuff, doesn't it? Especially a man who's got that sort of history in the game to really move things on. I mean, I I, I thought he was absolutely fantastic the way he talked about it.
2: Well, it's like anything um, where there's a struggle, you need allies. And the strength sometimes comes in allies that are not the same as the people who need the help. So it's really meaningful to have Ian Wright step up and take that stand. But it's righty all over and he, he only has one way and that's genuine. And if he says something like that, it's not for effect. It's not because he thinks he should. It's from the heart, like everything that he does. It is hugely helpful for the you know the notion of trying to grow the women's game, to have people on board who, who treat it with equality, really. That's all you want. I mean, when I was growing up, I wasn't allowed to play football. I mean, I'm not saying I would have been any good or anything, so it's not like I'm sitting there thinking, oh, you know, <laughs> that could have been me. No, I'm, don't get me wrong. But I, I wouldn't have minded playing just because I loved it. And I, when I kicked the ball about in our netball lesson at school, I got detention. That's true. That's not even an exaggeration. It's completely. It was so utterly frowned upon and discouraged. There was nowhere to play. I mean, there are still lot. you know, and Ian is right, there are still... There's a huge disparity between numbers, essentially, in youth football with boys and girls. So if you've got a, a six-year-old boy, Adrian, rather than a six-year-old girl, and that boy wants to start playing football, there's umpteen grassroots clubs that you could probably find near to you. And a lot of those grassroots clubs will be in umpteen leagues with with uh, you know more than one team in each age group. So you get streamed a little bit accordingly and you can grow at the right pace for you. So the best will be playing for and playing with and against a higher quality player. And the ones who need to learn a bit more and haven't got quite the same level still get to enjoy their football. Whereas with the girls, you often find a huge mix and range within teams because it's not the same numbers. So if you do find a local club, you might find the age groups are really broad so you might find your 6 year olds playing with 9 year olds or 4 year olds and uh, you know that within that there'll be big a big range a spectrum of between the best and the and the ones who have barely kicked a ball so it's harder to, to develop that um striving mentality of trying to be the best and that's where when you look at you know there has been great strides made um as you can see that <laughs> from the fact England have won the Euros. But there's still a long way to go at grassroots to make that playing field broader for everyone, really. And then the talent pool becomes even greater. And the people who just want to play become, you know, it becomes more possible.
0: If you were thrilled by what happened uh, over the last few weeks and how could you not be... Well, first of all, get down to Meadow Park. Arsenal uh, women uh, play their games there. A season ticket is 80 quid. They're playing in the WSL. The first game, I believe, is Man City in a couple of weeks. Uh, 80 quid for a season ticket. You can see some of the best footballers in Europe playing there. And you can keep up to date with everything that's happening in the women's game by listening to the Athletics Women's Football Podcast and also the Offside Rule. You guys went to the Emirates Cup. Did you not? Both of you saw the game. Um, Sevilla, <laughs> were they really not that good or, or did we just blow them away or is it a mixture of both? Amy, your piece, uh, you often get a bit tetchy with me uh, about being optimistic. <laughs> mm-hmm. I did... Chris knew the Grinch the other day, um, <laughs> uh, and you weren't very happy about that. And I thought that's very on brand. Um, oh, no, I think
2: I responded by saying, uh, no. "Shouldn't it be Goonarinch?" You did. You so did. come I'm on, don't. I yeah, just you know cut the <laughs> cut the jokes at my expense. <laughs>
0: Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, but your piece was talking about the optimism around uh, the Emirates. Is it all a bit much? I mean, you're, we're all old hands at this. We've seen a lot of how it can go. We've been brilliant in pre-season before, but this feels different. Does it not? Do you no, know, there's tri-
2: something. I I, there's something that is l- like the fire is 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 burning that bit brighter for everyone. And I don't know what has triggered that, but. Going to the game on uh, first of all the emirates cup sold out really really quickly and i know you know there are a lot of people especially season ticket holders that can be quite sort of relaxed about things like pre-season friendlies and because you don't get it included in your season ticket it's like uh you know i'll, I'll just uh, i'll just get one a bit nearer the time if i feel like it and about two weeks before the game it was absolutely sold out and you're like oh okay um turns out season tickets have sold out in pretty much record uh time for the last Ten to fifteen years, you know, quicker than usual. The new Black Awake It, when it came out, smashed records for you know first day sales of a, of a new Awake It, like absolutely obliterated them. And you're like, you start to add to these things together. Um, took the dog for a walk on, on uh, in the morning before the, the Emirates Cup, which did kick off pretty early at twelve thirty and nine o'clock. I'm walking around the stadium, just thought I would pop round, like get a smell of it. There's loads of people around already, like get taking pictures, getting new gear, just looking around, soaking it up, getting into it. I thought it's bloody three and a half hours still, kickoff
0: here. What's going on? And You uh, said the queue for the club shop was pretty Honestly, elite, so what, no the problem. queue
2: for the club shop, when I turned up about an hour before the, the game uh, started, I just sort of stood there and thought, what were all these people standing in a line for? And then you realised that, you know, they were waiting to just get in it was like being at Heathrow, (laughs) you know, it was, it was busy, busy. Like, and uh, I think all those things just tell you that people are into it. Now, it's interesting because towards the end of last season, it felt a bit like so much of that vibe would hinge on Champions League. And yet this is still happening despite not getting in the Champions League, which is even more uplifting in its own way to think that, People are buying in, despite being disappointed with, uh, with with the finishing position last year.
0: Yeah, I think that that is very encouraging, isn't it? Really, Adrian, do you feel that same way about it? I mean, I, I, again, we have to temper this. Was it? It's only pre-season. Yeah, but I don't think We've people. I don't games. think
2: people. Sorry, I don't think people are turning up thinking we're going to win the league. I think people are just enjoying the ride.
1: Mm. No, I agree. There's <laughs> not an Arsenal fan out there that thinks that we're going to win the title, but we do believe that we are we have as much chance as Spurs, Chelsea and Manchester United of finishing third or fourth or of winning a trophy, be it the FA Cup League Cup or Europa League. I think people are starting to really believe in the team. It is amazing given how disappointing the end of last season is. but the reason I think people are still engaged and locked in with this team, is because we can all see with our own eyes that they're getting better. And they're getting better at quite a rapid rate. And and that's because they're young, hungry, really talented players that are suddenly looking far more cohesive and and united as a team. And I think when fans go to matches to go and watch their team, cheer on their heroes, they want to see a group that feels together on and off the pitch. And that's what's happening in the stands there's not too many dissenting voices. Everyone's in it together. And I think what they're seeing on the pitch is something very, very similar. So the players that, that weren't on the boat, as Arteta said, have, have gone or they're going. And everyone that's on his boat at the moment looks sharp, fit, ready for the new season. And, and, and the fans are excited to watch them. So, yeah, I totally get the excitement. I really do. I, I feel it myself. I'm excited about the, the start of this season. It feels... After treading water for a while, it feels like we're, we're we're on that upward curve and, yeah, things are going to happen.
0: Finally, the fan base has come round to my way of thinking. See, I was in this position last year, you see. I really, really loved watching them, notwithstanding the end of the season, but I tended to feel, you know what? Any team that lost most of their first-choice defence would struggle and that's what happened in the end. The squad was a bit thin, but we seem to have addressed a lot of the issues uh, Amy, what about making Martin Odegaard captain? I mean, there's a lot of leaders in the team, but he's captain of Norway. He's in the right position for me, for a captain playing in midfield or defence. I think he's got to be one of them. I never like forwards as captains. And the players, I think, look up to him. He's the creative hub of the team. It's the right move, isn't it?
2: Well, uh, as Adrian mentioned, apart from the uh, the, the spectre of Fabio Vieira coming in and whipping his place away from him, he's... <laughs> um, uh, I felt for a while like there was an inevitability about it, particularly um, when I w- went over to Norway uh, last season and spoke to quite a lot of people who knew him well, including the Norway manager, who spoke very convincingly about the reasons why uh, he's a very obvious choice as captain. And I think, in you know, Arteta has just been so glowing about him whenever he's spoken about him, and as much about. Kind of conduct and communication and personality as what he actually produces on the pitch, and I think for a coach to have that guy on the pitch who who speaks for them and who acts for them, and Odegaard's very good at transmitting what coaches want. That's probably been the biggest thing in his favour. He's well liked. He speaks well. By his own admission, he's not the loudest talker, but he, you know, I think when he speaks, people listen. It's a really pleasing thing for him when you think about sort of where he was just over a year ago in terms of his career, having had several years of loans, having lived with the sort of spotlight of being, you know, the great hope of of his country and of, of a club as enormous as Real Madrid. The scrutiny that comes with this sense that it was like, what, you know, when's he going to settle down and, and be the guy, you know, Within the space of a year, he's captaining his country. He's captaining his club. He's, you know, become an integral, much loved figure at, at the club, and and says he feels very much at home at Arsenal. He's the sort of person you can imagine spending many years at the club if he's happy and the club are happy with him. So,
0: yeah, good move all round. Does feel that way? It feels like he's home, doesn't it, Adrian? Really? It just that's what I think you alluded to that in your piece, Amy. But it. it... It really feels like he's found a place now at Arsenal.
1: Yeah, exactly. He, fit, he fits it like a glove. St- you know, stylistically, as a footballer, he's he seems to have that sort of Arsenal DNA in him, doesn't he? And yeah, I, I like the way that he sets the tone. He sets the tone in the games uh, by going to press the defender. You know, he's in that number 10 position. He's often the trigger. He works very, very hard. To, to show for the ball and to hunt down the ball as well. He's, I don't think anybody last season per 90 minutes ran further than Martin Erdegaard. So, so that's a good example to set. Not that it's all about how far you run, but it's no bad thing. His attitude looks great. And and I also think it's really important that we have a young captain as well. Too often, we're just giving it to one of the older guys. Uh, and the older guys haven't been fit I haven't wanted to be there. They've been a little bit past it, potentially. And I think what we've got here is a young team led by a young player that's approaching his prime along with all of those around him. I think that's that's a really healthy thing. So, um, yeah, he looks mature beyond his years, which I think, yeah, helps with, with the captaincy. And, yeah, when it came down to it, I don't think there really was a choice. I think it had to be Martin Odegaard.
2: I'd be interested to see, though, whether he develops as a player as well with that responsibility, because sometimes with a captain, people feel that they've got that much extra to think about that it can impact on their own game. And actually, one of the things about Martin is for, you know, for all his great qualities, I'm still not sure he's exactly the complete package yet. I still think there's a bit more evolving, a bit more work to do. You know, There were some games, particularly against lesser teams in the league, where he just looked glorious to watch. And then sometimes in the really big games where you really need everybody to stand up and be at their best, if not beyond, to get a result, particularly away from home, they weren't necessarily the easiest games for him or the ones where he was able to impose himself. So I think there's that extra step that he needs to take. But given his personality, I would expect him to be giving everything to take them. But I also think it's, you know, the way that Arsenal have sort of uh, bought in Jesus and stuff that's going on, maybe will, will just help lift everybody's game.
1: Well, he's got a runner to to slip through balls through to now, hasn't he? In Gabriel Jesus, we've seen it. We've got pace out wide with Saka. Obviously, with the penalty we, that he won against Sevilla, it was a through ball. There was another one a couple of minutes later where he split the defence for Saka. He can do the same for Martinelli on the other side. I think he's got the players around him to to really shine this year. And I think for a player in that number ten position, or as your most attacking central midfielder, Amy. In those tough away games against the big six teams, Arsenal just haven't had a strong enough platform in matches full stop. We've just not played with that. We've not just not been good enough, I don't think in recent years, to to be that competitive. And I think having sort of played in that role at times myself, you end up going out of the game because because it's wave after wave, or you just, there's no confidence to keep the ball in the way that the team normally does. What I see with Arsenal and what I really hope happens now is that we're a little bit better equipped for those tough challenges to play our own game. And and when we play our own game, he'll, he'll always be at the fore, I think.
0: Well, the first of those tough challenges comes on Friday night. Opening game of the season, Palace away. Got really badly beaten there last year. This feels... Very different, though, Amy. It feels like a different team. It feels uh, like a. Uh, we've talked about all this, how positive it is. Gabriel Jesus up front. We can stretch them. I don't know if it is Colin Gallagher still playing for them because uh, he basically uh, sat on Thomas Partey last year and made things, they sort of seem to work out. They also, by the way, almost beat us at the Emirates until we got a last-minute equaliser through uh, Alexandre Lacazette, which might have been the only goal he got an open play in about 100 years. Amy I'll ask you first the starting lineup sort of picks itself right now Ramsdale White Saliba Gabriel Zinchenko Partey Jacka Odegaard Saka Martinelli and Jesus right I mean that is probably going to be the 11 that run out
2: Yeah that's where uh, every sign indicates it'd be surprising
0: if that doesn't happen but um and that's a much stronger team than we had at Palace last year I mean it is isn't it It is I mean. but you know <laughs> This is a,
2: a a really huge test. We were just talking about Erdegard Erlingur had a stinker, as did everybody. But I was actually in Norway when we played Palace away last year, and I watched it in the pub with sort of a load of Norwegian gooners. And in fact, not just Norway; they were Oslo gooners. I should be more precise. So people from sort of all over the place. And I thought, oh, this would be good. You know, here we go. We can get a good feel for what the locals think of him. And it, 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 he was. He really just had an awful game and and I think crowned it by maybe giving away a penalty at the end or...
0: Blotted this one out of my head a little bit, to be honest with you.
2: (laughs) To a man, to a man that night, everybody played well below their level. But Palace are an extremely good team. And for all the changes that Arsenal have made, this is such a tricky fixture to start with. And, you know, all the things, all the kind of optimistic things that we've been talking about. It wouldn't be gobsmacking for Crystal Palace to come along with an enormous pin and prick the balloon. (laughs)
1: So <laughs> a vieira sized pin. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're so talking about one, Patrick here and not Fabio. I should point I'll, out.
0: Urdagard
1: Erdegaard did uh, did give away that pen. Did he swipe the legs away? I think I think it was a yeah. It was a bit of a breakaway, and we, everyone was sort of sprinting back, and he made a rash rash decision. Yeah, my memories of, of of the Palace game, both games actually, but primarily at Selhurst Park, is that they physically bullied us. They were really really aggressive. In their press, high balls caused us a lot of problems from from free kicks and corners in particular. But it was the way they set about disrupting Arsenal's football that, that stood out most. And we had no answer to it at Selhurst Park. Maybe at that point in the season, we were a bit jaded. We were certainly stretched personnel-wise. So I would expect us to be ready for that now because it's not that long ago. There'll be no surprises so I wouldn't expect us to be overpowered in the same way. But, but they do have that ability, Palace, to beat awkward opponents. So this, it's no gimme. As, as great as we've been in pre-season, it's absolutely a tough game.
0: No, but we also know why Sky picked it as the opening game, like they had Brentford <laughs> last year. And you can imagine Jamie Carragher dancing on the pitch with Patrick Vieira after the game. And I'd like us to beat him just for that reason alone, just to burst that bubble and go, you know what? We're not rolling over for teams anymore. Go on, Amy.
2: Just looking at the team from uh, uh, the Crystal Palace three 0 defeat to now, Cedric Suarez started, Nuno Tavares started, Lacazette obviously started, and a Smith Rowe. You know, there's an automatic changing of uh, in four positions. I think more than likely there, and three of them, it sh- you know, should be a, a fairly substantial upgrade. Also, going back to Adrian's point about the physicality. I mean. I think it's gonna be a really interesting game for Saliba, who looks to have so much composure and he's so cool and he reads things well and he feels like he's always got time and he's an enormous hulk of a guy. But just the kind of ferocity of of the pace and physicality of the game, it's gonna be interesting to see if he if he manages with as much cool as as we hope. Because I think it, you know, it'll be a bit different to him. There won't have been that many games of that kind of nature. I think that he's possibly come across too often. Zinchenko have obviously seen it all before, so you'd like to think there's no worries on that front. And 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 indeed Gabriel Jesus. So I I think I, we don't I think we'd all like to see Arsenal take the game to Palace a bit more and therefore feel slightly less exposed. And then I think that changes the temperature and possibility of the whole thing. But but Palace will fancy it, obviously. It's a fast start. Yeah. We,
1: we've we've started matches really quickly, haven't we, in pre-season, Amy? I think that's been a feature of it. Yeah. We've been really got after the opposition. and
2: Maybe that's the whole... Maybe that
0: is very specific. Gabriel Jesus really does change everything, doesn't he? It does feel that way. And I, it goes back to the point you made at the start of the podcast, Amy. we want to get... He's so crucial to the way we played it play in terms of stretching the game. Anyway, Friday night, enjoy the game, Gunners. I'm sensing uh, one 0 at the Arsenal. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> anyway, this is handbrake off the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by the Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We better beat
1: uh, with the handbrake at
0: time. Ian Stone here with Adrian Clark and Amy Lawrence. A couple of little chats about people who might be leaving. Nuno Tavares... Over to Marseille. I don't know if you noticed that he replaced Sayed Kalashinac at halftime. <laughs> Essentially, we swapped <laughs> terrible crossing for terrible shooting, as far as I can see. Um, do you think, Adrian, that this is um, he's sort of one foot out the door? Or do you think they're going to give him a loan and see how it goes, Nuno Tavares?
1: No, it's hard to say because if he's it excellent uh, at Marseille, then there's always... We'd always welcome him back, but I think he's got a lot, a long, long way to go. When you compare him to Zinchenko and Tierney, he's just not in the same same level, unfortunately. In terms, certainly in terms of his defensive awareness and positioning. So yeah, I think probably it's the, it's the beginning of the end to his Arsenal career. But but I wouldn't want to write off any player that that goes out on loan and, and shines because yeah, players do do improve, especially young players like him. So. Hand on heart, I'm not a massive Nuno Tavares fan. I did, I, I like my fullbacks to, first and foremost, be good defenders. And, and I think that was probably one of the weakest aspects of his game.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's true you never know with young players. Eddie Nketiah was, was off until about six, eight weeks from the end of the season. Now he signed a new contract and who knows what the future will bring. Uh, Amy, Burnt Leno uh, looks like he's going to Fulham. He's not going to get in the first team, is he? We've brought Matt Turner, who's probably going to be second-choice goalkeeper, and um, uh, he's not getting back in the team. And I think it's a good move for him and Arsenal, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's time for him to be um, first-choice again. And I think he was surprised by how quickly that battle was lost once Ramsdale came in. Most people thought that would be a bit of a kind of period of where they're both challenging, but it turned out to be an incredibly swift replacement and he's too good a goalkeeper to be sitting around at his age you know with just a few cup games and stuff he was pretty professional last year and only disappointment being maybe not with all, with, the, with a lot of these players is not getting slightly better fees in but I think you've got to counteract that with also the cutting of the wages and some of these guys are on more than others so I think uh, when all the outgoings are um are totted up at the end of the day uh, when the window closes, even if Arsenal might not have generated as much sort of hard cash as you'd like in terms of fees, I think that they'll be really satisfied with having to, you know, with having the ability to get a few high earners off the books. But the other thing I would say is, you know, whatever happens with the sales and Arsenal has shown they've got a bit more of a, I would say, ironically ambitious attitude in terms of making sure the squad is the right balance, even if that means taking someone out and essentially ripping up a contract or not getting as much money as they might hope. One thing about this summer that interests me as well is that really, would it have absolutely astonished everybody if, particularly given the outlay that we've put into bringing in new players, if somebody biggish got sold?
0: Well, transfer window is not shut yet, I should say.
2: It isn't shut, I agree. And one of my sort of wishes... Is that it shuts with the fir- the first team as everybody sees it very much intact because it's pretty amazing given the losses after COVID and so on that the club are in a position to be when they're so you know still supposedly sort of self sustaining in their model you know laying out quite a lot of money for the second consecutive summer amongst the top spenders without getting much in. And, you know, not trying to balance those books necessarily by one of the big names moving on. So let's hope it stays that way. And if it does, again, that's kind of credit to the way the club are running themselves at the moment. Because I wouldn't have, you know, historically, you wouldn't have been that surprised if that had happened.
0: No, I mean, there was certainly talk about Gabriel Maganese, possibly, and maybe Kieran Tierney as well. Uh, but I think... I think you're right, Amy. Um, let's hope we hold on to them. One more thing about Burnt Leno before we move on. If his last act for Arsenal was saving that last-minute shot against Aston Villa and getting surrounded by his teammates, I feel that's a, a, a nice memory to have of Burnt. Let's talk about Terry Neal, ex-Arsenal manager, died at the age of 80 uh, last week. I mean, we watched... I grew up watching... First of all, Bertie Mee, but then Terry Neil sides. He came to Arsenal in 1976. He was at the time and still is the youngest manager, 34 years old that Arsenal have ever had. Won uh, the FA Cup. Adrian, did you play? for Terry or oh, sorry I'm not quite sure if I got the timeline. <laughs> no, I'm not right. that no, old you're a little, come on no, sorry. <laughs> I can't even
1: remember him being the Arsenal manager this you know, this is. <laughs> did you play for Herbert <laughs> Chapman got,
0: Adrian did you?
1: <laughs> I, I know I've got a bit of silver in my beard these days Stony, but come on no look no because when I joined Arsenal when I when I came aboard and I was only 10 or 11 at the time George Graham had just taken over um, and previous to that it was Don Howe wasn't it and and, and Terry was prior to that what amazes me so I can't really talk about Terry Neal's arse other than that I watched that 79 final on VHS and, and it was absolutely wondrous finish to that game
0: and there's McElroy getting in there can he finish it off? yes he can two goals in a minute and suddenly United are back in it and the scenes on the two benches well I'm, never, I never know The despair on the face of Don Howe and uh, Terry Neal. But wait a moment! It's there by Sunderland! And they're back in the lead again! And they're off the bench once more! What an amazing cup final!
1: But what amazes me is, is is how young he was, and then how he walked away from the game so so early on. You know, so he was Arsenal manager at 34. He'd already managed Northern Ireland. He'd been a player manager of Northern Ireland. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? In itself, he'd been manager of Spurs, and 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 another club before, uh, prior to that that escapes me, where he started out. So, I think he, he began management at 28. That's that's phenomenal, isn't it? And um, yeah, it, it's just sad in a way that that he didn't want to stay in the game after Arsenal got rid of him. And and yeah, I think that's um, it's clearly a, a real you know bright coach in there for for him to have got those jobs at such a such a young age.
2: He did sort of stay attached to the game because he um, he was a, a pundit on Capital Gold for a long time. Bringing his uh, his Irish, Northern Irish brogue to listeners, uh, uh, and a lot of wisdom and a lot of jokes because he was a very, very funny man, and um, with a real twinkle in his eye. And he then he also had a bar in Hoban, a sports bar, so you, you, you know people would go there and watch sporting events, and he was often there, and he was always ready to talk to anybody. And a lot of um, a lot of football people would do events or go. To Terry's place there, so he, I think he, even though he didn't stay on in coaching, he you know football was was absolutely in his heart and soul, always. And just on a personal note, I uh I have to say uh, I have a bit of extra sentiment on this because um, I went to school with Terry's daughter, who was a very very dear friend of mine, and um, I used to go around their house quite a lot. And as a as a youngster, you know it was kind of amazing to me that I, he was just someone's you know he was one of your mate's dads but you know this guy used to be the manager of Arsenal and me as a young Arsenal fan you know that was fairly amazing and he was just lovely warm charming their house was always full of uh of, of giggles and jokes and there was such a warmth in their house Terry's wife Sandra was very was great as well and their two girls and it was just a lovely place to be around, and I'll always remember when I first got to know Tara, his daughter, and you know, be, you know, I was a big Arsenal fan, and she was like, "Oh, yeah, you know, my dad used to manage Arsenal," and uh, I said, "Oh, wow, you know, what was it like when you know? Did you used to go to games?" And she went, "She wasn't a massive football fan at the time." She went, "Yeah, you know, I used to go, and that." But he said, "The best thing about Arsenal was the sausages," <laughs> and her favourite thing about going was the. <laughs> was the grub in um, in what used to be the cocktail lounge because uh, in those days, women and girls, even of VIPs, were not allowed into sort of director's books or anywhere sort of too swish like that. But, yeah, they were a super family and um, love them all. And Terry was just a, a lovely man who was always pleased to see you and always pleased to talk, very, very genial and... And cared about people, and I think that he reflects that reflects him a bit as a manager. You know, he was a talker. He wanted things to be, you know, an energy to come through what he said. You know, and 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 he was part of a, a, a side that got to three cup finals. Well, four if you include the Fairs Cup in the space. Sorry, the uh, uh, UEFA Cup in the space of four years. You know, not easy to have been on the losing side of the majority. Obviously, the win is legendary and iconic but you know Arsenal went very very close to being exceedingly successful when he was there but they were never they never he was never backed to create a league winning team no you know the, 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 the time the board and the club were not that interested in throwing the kind of money at it to be really really
0: competitive yeah I have to say also it wasn't easy to watch those four cup finals I went to all four of them and uh, the Ipswich game was the first one I went to. And that was obviously incredibly disappointing. Manchester United, actually quite a dull game, if I'm totally honest with you. But the last five minutes was pretty exciting. And then we all know what happened with West Ham and then Valencia five days later. That was a rough uh, week. Also, by the way, ending with us getting spanked 5-0. Was it a Middlesbrough or Wolves? I can't remember. And not qualifying for the UEFA Cup after playing 69 games of the season. But a lot of good memories of that time. And uh, Terry Neal was our manager and we uh, very much appreciated it. Um, So rest in peace. Terry, let's have a song before we go. Uh, Amy, I'm going to come to you first for a song.
2: Uh, I'm going to go back to the raving days and pick a song for the Larnesses, uh, Hypergogo and High. And the lyrics go go something along the lines of, going to touch the sky. Never
0: Been This High. Oh, that's great. I really, I remember that song. <laughs> that's a very, I don't, I didn't really like my choice. I'm having that as well, if you don't mind. David. No, I, I think it's really good. I really, really like that. Uh, Adrian, what have you got?
1: Do you know what? I've made the cardinal sin, and I've been on mil- not millions, I've been on dozens of these shows, and I've forgotten to get a song. Um, so I'm just frantically googling as, as Amy was talking there, right? And the, the first, the first thing that came into my head was "I can't wait," and this is because I can't wait for the new season to begin. There was a song by Stevie Nicks called "I Can't Wait." It was probably rubbish, but there's my choice. <laughs>
0: Oh, I I should say, by the way, the song that I was going to choose was Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves because as the England women were absolutely fantastic at the weekend and uh, it was an amazing watch. And when you hear Adrian's story about his daughter, I think that says it all, really. Anyway, season starts on Friday, listener. I think we're all looking forward to it and, uh, well enjoy the rest of the week thanks to amy and adrian thanks to steve our producer today and thank you listener for listening see you soon you